Hey sis! From coast to coast, we're bridging the gap between the cisgender and transgender community, creating meaningful dialogue and space to learn and grow. Join us as we connect with our community, break down tough conversations, and get comfortable being better humans. Welcome back to Hey Sis. We are your hosts, Sin Sweeney. And I'm Isaac Cook. We hope you all enjoyed a fantastic summer wherever you're joining us from. As we dive into season three, we also want to extend a huge thank you to all of you who have tuned in and subscribed since fall of 2020. Thanks to you, the Hastis podcast is ranked number two on Feedspot's top number 20 best Canadian talk shows. This is huge because it lets us know we're connecting with you and hopefully sharing engaging stories celebrating trans and queer people from coast to coast and beyond and breaking down stigma along the way. And guess what? Season three is proudly sponsored by TD Bank Group, making community connections even more accessible. More episodes, guests, and amazing stories. And speaking of accessibility, in today's episode, we are joined by guest Rochelle Manette. Rochelle is a queer, Jewish, disabled sexuality educator, currently the education coordinator for Venus Envy Halifax, an education-based sex shop and bookstore located in Kabuktuk, Halifax. They organize and deliver workshops on all sorts of sexy topics. Rochelle uses she-they pronouns and presents at universities across the province of Nova Scotia. And if you're a parent, caregiver of a transgender, gender expansive, or non-binary youth, teen, or young adult, or you're an educator, this episode is all about inclusion, pleasure, accessibility, and breaking down stigma linked to cisnormative bias. Please join us in welcoming Rochelle to the show. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back. Yeah. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Um, and yeah, no, we're really excited uh, to have you here in September, right after the summer as we're launching season three. Yeah, great to be back. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. <laughs> awesome. So, Rochelle, maybe you could help us first and foremost kind of break down and define what does cisnormativity mean in pleasure? Mm -hmm. So the way that I've always looked at it, you know, the idea of cisnormativity being the, and I often sort of couple it with like cis heteronormativity, you know, this idea that everyone is cis or straight um, and you know, that we're all like born cis and straight and it's like going away from that sort of deviates from the norm um, versus everyone just sort of being who they are and having lots of different ways that they can interact with the world. But yeah, the idea that being cisgender and being straight or heterosexual is the norm um, and that anything outside of that is odd or strange or different or like deviates from, you know, what we're supposed to be doing. And so when it comes to pleasure, I think that there's a lot of, you know, other layers layers to it. Uh, so this idea that, you know, cis, being cisgender, being straight is what's attractive, is what's sexy, is who deserves pleasure. Um, and that there's specific ways that we're supposed to have sex, that we're supposed to experience pleasure. You know, often these are linked to penetrative sex um, and that everything outside of that is odd or not like real sex. And I'm putting like quotation marks around that real sex, um, you know, and so I think that's a lot of the time where it comes up. Um, 
but what makes things more complicated is that tons of people experience pleasure in a multitude of ways and quite often not from solely penetrative pleasure or penetrative sex. Uh, and so, you know, where these ideas of what's normal and what's natural and what is, you know, supposed to happen, um, they stop us from feeling the pleasure that we could be feeling uh, because we're, we think we're supposed to feel it one way. Um, even though most of us have a hard time with that, you know, with all sorts of different kinds of bodies, it's hard to, you know, feel pleasure from just solely penetration alone. So let's maybe, why don't we um, dive a little bit into that a little bit more. And I'd love for you to be able to share, um, as I said in the introduction, that you have a particular interest in accessible sex practices and pleasure experiences. Um, what would be, you know, some of the challenges that you've heard about or experienced um, challenges that queer people face when accessing pleasure? Yeah, I think the main one is that we're not given a lot of like good examples. Um, you know, in like all of the media I grew up watching, there was always straight people doing one very specific looking kind of sex or pleasure. Um, and, you know, when someone doesn't quite fall into that or has tried something that looks like that and it doesn't quite work, there's a lot of like, oh, maybe I'll never get to feel this way. Um, and like, I didn't come out until I was in my early 20s. I didn't even know that that was an option for me just because I hadn't had any role models around that. And so I get very excited to be a queer adult role model in queer youth's lives. Uh, one of my favorite things to do and be and be involved with. Um, but yeah, you know, there there is this idea of like what pleasure is supposed to look like, and we're fed that pretty regularly through media and also through education. Um, I was just recently working on a project with a group of queer youth who were um, putting together essentially a response to the sex ed book that goes out to like all Nova Scotians every year, every year, like nodding, you know what I'm talking about. The classic, about. the yeah. classic. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And there has been some like minuscule updates to that book to sort of be like, yes, queer people exist and like gender non-conforming people exist and trans people exist, but you know, it still very much feels like an afterthought. And so this group of youth was like, we don't really like this. Can we do something better? And which was really exciting. And so I got brought into this project to work with them. And so they put together kind of like a response book or like zine um, to just be like, you know, this is coming from like a queer youth perspective. Um, and yeah, we're hoping to distribute that amongst, you know, different schools and things like that. So for everyone listening who are educators or parents and grandparents and stuff, you know, look out for that. It'll be available. <laughs> I love that. And when it comes out, we can put a link in the show notes. But I, I think that's especially resonates for me because um, as a parent of a trans child, and then I would be, let's say, bordering 50, perhaps in the early parts of 50. Um, I'm being raised in a small town in Ontario, Brampton. Um, you know, I had a very sort of also traditional um, family upbringing when so you talk about visibility on television and then the influence of like what's talked about or not talked about in school, but also the home plays such a huge piece. And so for, say, some parents and caregivers out there of trans youth who maybe have been raised in that very like I remember there was a lot of kind of shame put on anything that was outside of the traditional model of what pleasure was supposed to be was supposed to look like. Um, and I would beg to argue that I'm probably not alone in that with my generation having kind of grown up that way with limited information and knowledge that you know when it comes to trying to support 
queer youth and teens, um, we could use a little bit of help. Yeah. Well, and I just want to take that and like almost do one step backwards to the idea that I don't even think we're acknowledging, we're straight up not acknowledging queer people, period. But we're not even acknowledging the fact that sex isn't just purely for reproduction. I remember like all those books, it was just about this is how you make a baby. And I'm like, cool. But like, we're not discussing how to have pleasure out of it or what sex looks like in other ways. For instance, for like asexual people or aromantic people who might not, you know, feel the same way that other people do in those terms of things. And we're not acknowledging that sex isn't purely reproductive. Like, and I think, I think that's kind of like the root of the problem. Yeah. A lot of conversations that I have to, or that I sort of choose to avoid, like I am not a reproduction expert. That is not where my expertise lies. I am very much rooted in pleasure. I'm like, let's talk about like the parts of our bodies that feel good to touch and that like, you know, anyone can touch for themselves. A lot of the education I do, especially with youth, you know, I, I find that they're getting a lot of information on how to have a baby, how to avoid having a baby, and then how to avoid like STIs. But no one's really talking about like self-pleasure. And that is one of the safest ways to like explore the body and to get a sense of what feels good and what's exciting. And, you know, when people are very young and, you know, and consent is more complicated and, you know, rules around that and, and what have you, like self-exploration is such an important option for people. And I think like growing up, I didn't know that I could explore myself in that way. I sort of felt like I was trying to hide it. And with that comes this expectation of, well, like sex has to happen with another person or pleasure has to happen with another person. And so, you know, we as youth go out exploring outside of ourselves and maybe without a lot of information, we start, you know, doing more risky behaviors. And I'm, you know, I'm also like all for like a little risk is good. Um, you know, it helps us learn and helps us grow, but when it's the only option to engage in what could be considered like very risky. Um, it's not, you know, having that as the only option is not necessarily a good option. So yeah, like self-pleasure and self-exploration so important for us to get to know our bodies and figure out what we like. But also there's this empowerment for me, at least of like, I own my own pleasure. Like my body is mine and I get to control who has access to it. And it's so much easier to do that when I've taken the time to actually explore it on my own and, and know that I can give myself pleasure and that I'm able to. And so that's always been like a huge reason for self-pleasure for me, at least, and something that I try to sort of impart to other people that I'm speaking with. Yeah, and it's tricky too, because so many folks, especially queer people, I will say with emphasis, only kind of get to that point when they're in their 20s or 30s or even older. So during those prime puberty stages where you're feeling a, a lot of different things, you're not yes. able to <laughs> properly find appropriate safe outlets to find self-pleasure. And okay. that can make, that can like fall into those categories as you were mentioning of like risky behavior because you don't know how to release that. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to kind of jump on, uh, you mentioned briefly kind of about your own experiences. And back when we first spoke in May of 2022, you talked about how being a part of a marginalized community often intersects with being disabled. And we were just curious if you could share maybe a bit of your own personal perspective um, on how this relates to you. 
Yeah. So, you know, going from sort of like a self-pleasure standpoint and a pleasure standpoint in general, I guess, um, you know, in the same way that, you know, sex ed and media and things don't really include queer and trans and non-binary people, um, we're also missing a lot of representation from like disabled people uh, and bodies that, you know, don't look a certain way. Um, and, you know, I think that this extends to things like race and, uh, you know, body shapes and body types and things like that. But, you know, speaking from my own personal experience as someone who is disabled, like that's what I was missing. I was missing seeing people with mobility aids and how they like interacted with the world around them uh, or seeing people whose bodies looked like a little, I mean, and I say this as someone whose body looks a little like curved in some weird places because of my spine. Like, you know, I, I didn't see a lot of that on TV growing up, unless it was like the storyline, I mean, like things like the elephant man and stuff like that. And, you know, that wasn't exactly like a heartfelt story. It was pretty sad. Um, you know, they weren't talking about the elephant man, like masturbating and stuff like that. It was all like how he was treated very poorly. Uh, and so, you know, growing up with that in my mind i was like do disabled people get to have pleasure um and you know there's also all these other rules that go along with how people get it on how people have sex and feel pleasure together and you know one of the biggest myths that come up is around this idea of like spontaneity um where like every time we have sex there should be no conversation that happens uh, i'm saying all of this with big sarcastic tones you know there should be no conversation we just like meet eyes from across the room in some crowded place. And then like it skips to a scene where we're like already touching each other and like making out. And then it skips to another scene where we are like half clothed, but under the covers in bed, we've already had sex kind of thing. So, you know, seeing that leaves a lot to be desired. And also it leaves a lot of information, like what happens in between all those moments. Um, and so, you know, like, and I think it, it sort of, is similar when it comes to queer sex and queer pleasure, um, where, you know, if we're if we're experiencing bodies in different ways than we've sort of been told is like the norm, um, you know, we there's no instruction manual. There's nothing that's telling us this is how you do it. This is how you can start. How to explore. There's a lot of uh, you know exploration that kind of happens on the fly, um, but there isn't really. Yeah, there's no instruction manual for that. And I kind of like that personally. I think that once sort of disability became a part of my life and my existence, I was like, oh, I can throw this entire rule book that I thought existed out the window because it's clearly not working for me anymore. Like I had to rethink a lot of stuff, but I also think that that has had a big effect on how I see queer sex existing. Um, a lot of people come into the store and ask for like position books, um, you know, and position books are like i guess a fun thing to look at uh <laughs> but they're not something great. to put on your wall <laughs> exactly right something to put on your wall they're like a cool art form i suppose but exactly yeah. like ripping them out and putting them up but you know they're not super great for like most bodies to try something i would say that in any given position book like 20 percent of the positions are actually usable for like most people um but definitely there's always a lack of like queer representation there's always a lack of disabled representation and usually there's a lack of you know, like race representation as well, and like just different body types and, and that kind of representation. So, you know, position books are like not all they're supposed to be. 
Um, and, but you know, when I'm, when I'm doing workshops specifically about disabled sexuality and, um, you know, sort of moving beyond our expectations of what sex is supposed to look like, a lot of what I talk about is, or a lot of what I'm asked actually is, well, how can I like rethink positioning? What kind of positions can I do for my body? And I was like, well, my way of thinking of positions is just like, okay, I want this body part to touch this body part. What is a comfortable way of doing that? What is a sexy way of doing that? And by sexy, I'm like, how can I look at this body part while I'm touching this body part? Like, it's just in my mind, it's so much more abstract than like looking at it in a book and being like, this is the sex position. And when people ask for names of sex positions, I'm like, I don't know, that's not, they're all made up anyways. Let's just make them up more. So yeah, I tend to have to do a lot of like unlearning of what we're supposed to look like when we're having sex and instead just think about how it feels and what's exciting about it you know yeah I really like that like mapping like (laughs) idea because it's so true though because you're like I want this but like I need this and then you actually try and you're like okay no there's no way in like heck that's gonna happen unless we like dislocate a leg or or something (laughs) but um I find too especially as like a trans person myself in a relationship with another trans person being in a like they call it like t for t (laughs) relationship (laughs) um is so liberating because you understand each other's bodies and at least you understand i find for me it's almost like you understand boundaries Mm. can i ask a question then as sort of coming from a, a parent point of view and maybe you could provide some advice then for parents and and caregivers and and even educators around how they can create more meaningful conversations around bodily um, autonomy and reducing isolation around pleasure. Because I think, you know, say for younger children who transition and maybe they're in that tween age, early teens, you know, often there's no visibility in the sexual health component in schools. And I've even heard some kids being told, oh, well, you're never going to be able to experience pleasure the way I will be able to, you know, you're never going to feel like this because you're not a real insert boy, girl. Um, And so how as, you know, uh, being a supportive piece in that, how can we, you know, uh, break that down and, and, and start having, you know, um, give more, I guess, meaningful visibility and some options, you know, letting people know, like, no, this is not what it's all about. Yeah. I mean, I think there's sort of like a a two pronged approach and one has to do with like consent practices because this idea of bodily autonomy, while it's a human right, it also is kind of a skill and like it involves a lot of skill building. I think like as young people, we're often not given a lot of opportunities for our own bodily autonomy, for our own consent practices. Um, I've been really excited to see my own nephews growing up with like, do you want to hug this person as like an option, just little things like that of being like your body is your own and you get to choose what to do with it. There's no expectations regardless of family members, of caregivers, of like teachers and whoever in that person's life, it's still that person's choice what they do with their body and so I think that's a big piece of it consent is a hard concept to grasp if we don't get to practice it 
Um, and, you know, like growing up where it was like, okay, like you hug your grandparents, you hug these people, you don't have to hug these people, but you have to hug these people. It's kind of like, well, even those rules confuse us. Um, you know, like I grew up thinking that I had to hug certain people. And sometimes it was because I was like scared of them or because they were some authority figure. Um, and just little bits like that chip away at our own bodily autonomy in such drastic ways a lot of the time where we don't know what's right and what's wrong. And so I think that's a big part of it is practicing those things early on. And then when it comes to sort of the other prong, if you will, um, you know, offer, I, I think, I don't know, I am of the belief that it's never, no one is ever too young to get to know their own bodies. Um, you know, using the terminology that feels good for it, but also knowing the sort of like scientific terminology can help a lot in having conversations about body parts um, and knowing what to say when something goes wrong, when something's a little scary uh, or a lot scarier when something, you know, has become harmful. Um, as much as like using the correct or sort of, you know, scientific terms for body parts can also elicit some like emotional responses a lot of the time, it's important to at least know what they are. Um, but yeah, like offering space to talk about those things, I think is really important and offering opportunities to talk about pleasure. You know, we, we talk about body parts from like very young ages of like, well, this is like a no-no zone, right? I can't remember how many times. And obviously there's certain people who shouldn't be touching the no-no zone, but it shouldn't be, I feel like calling it a no-no zone is very iffy because it means that that person will now think, well, I'm not supposed to touch that part. And that discomfort with our own bodies leads to so many issues down the road. I mean, how many of us are afraid of like, our own bodily functions. I know so many people who are so afraid of pee and poo. And I'm like, we all do that. We all do that. I mean, not everyone, lots of people, you know, for a variety of reasons, have like ostomy bags or things like that and like catheters and stuff. But, you know, everyone has some form of excrement that comes out of them in some way or another. Like, why are we so afraid? Or even being afraid of my own menstrual cycle. Like it took me a long time to be like, this is this is just a part of my body. And, you know, while it brings up different feelings, you know, depending on the month, um, it's still like, it's not gross. It's not dirty. It's not bad. It can be complicated. There's a lot of complications around that kind of stuff for a variety of reasons. Um, but it's not yucky, I guess, is the thing. And, you know, that, that conversation around like your body is your body and whatever, you know, it feels like to you is okay. Oh, that's such a huge step in, in giving people to go ahead to explore their body and be comfy with their body and things like that. Yeah. And I just want to echo everything that you just said. And I think I'm going to be that person. I'll say it. Um, but like pleasure and sexuality has been for so long and still is dominated by the patriarchy and kind of male gaze on what pleasure looks like. So that's why so many people in modern day are scared of, you know, menstruating or scared of their own genitals, because if they don't have set genitalia that whoever <laughs> created the mentality um, many, many, many years ago, um, then you can't experience pleasure or that sex is only good if the man comes and that's when it's done. And there's mm -hmm. like that ongoing joke that, you know, women are uh, assigned female at birth or individuals with vaginas, they 
don't come kind of thing. And it's, it's or reach orgasm, I, I should say. And it's just, it's so interesting to talk about in modern day because we're at the point where so many people are aware, but no one's really talking about it and getting into those really, really difficult conversations. Um, right? Like there's still, yeah. Can I add in, it's funny, this is an interesting story because so I went into Venus MV and uh, on uh, where you're located there on Barrington Street. I remember going in looking, I wanted to find some resources, just like books and that and some stickers and that are around uh, trans youth and like getting an idea around like what they offer to be able to give information to other parents around STPs and packers and all of those, which is a whole other episode altogether. <laughs> I remember going in and I remember kind of looking in the back of the room and going, oh, I haven't, you know, I haven't gone into a store like this in so long. Oh my gosh, I'm so repressed. So I kind of went to the back of the room and I was kind of like looking around with my hand kind of over my, you know, my sunglasses on. Anyway, it was ridiculous. And up comes um, someone who works there and they're like, hi, Cynthia. Oh yeah, our kids go to school together. They're in a, I think they slept over last week. And I was like, and they're like, can I help you? And I was like, um, no, I'm just going to have a little look around. That's okay. And then I, I actually ended up finding someone else saying, hey, I'm kind of interested in this. But I was just, it was so funny, the discomfort I felt, the, I don't know, like that embarrassment. It's, it comes back to where I kind of came from and my roots and all that. But anyway, now I can just march in there and walk to the back of the room and I'm quite happy and confident to do so. But I was kind of like, what is wrong with me? 50-year-old woman, like get in there and own it, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, there's just... I think as a society, we still, we need to get comfortable talking about this and especially, you know, if you're supporting queer youth and, and, and that, because if they don't know what is available to them, we're generally policing their access to pleasure. Right. Absolutely. And it's, you know, I, it's, it's so honestly kind of normal that you were uncomfortable going into a sex shop for like after like a long while of maybe not going into a sex shop like I would say that it's one of the most common experiences you know so many people are like you know they're like whispery they don't want to like talk about things they just want to be shown like where the toys are a lot of people don't even know what the toys are called like every a lot of people come in and say like I want a dildo and I'm like okay sure like you know and I show them the dildos and they're like but none of these vibrate and I'm like oh you want a vibrator <laughs> like there's, yeah. there's vibrating dildos yes but normally I don't know people just don't know even the terms for the toys that they want and things like that and uh, I love I I mean I work in a sex shop I think sex toys are great they're you know and from kind of coming from like a, a accessibility perspective like toys help us access pleasure in ways that we maybe couldn't before they make you know sensations like vibrations that our bodies don't normally make they help us like reach areas that we maybe couldn't reach on our own they help us access parts of our bodies that our bodies can't necessarily get to on their own and just you know there it makes it easier for us to feel pleasure and you know for a lot of reasons people have like sensory sort of like stimulation concerns and so a toy can be that barrier between your own body part and another body part and you know while we're sort of getting used to touching our own bodies and figuring out what that all feels like and means for us and what's comfy there's something that can be that middle thing that that thing that's kind of a barrier but also a facilitator if you will um, you know this uh, but yeah it's such a, a very common experience for people to be just like super uncomfortable with the conversation until they get to have the conversation I think that's like my favorite 
part of what I do is like, you know, when I, I kind of love when people are uncomfortable, I love taking people from that discomfort to that place of like more comfort or even just less discomfort. It's, it's kind of like what gets me up in the morning. It's what makes me love the work is to just take people from that place of like, Oh, I'm not sure. Like, Oh, I don't know how to talk about this to Okay. That wasn't so bad. That like sigh of relief of like, yeah, I did it. I bought my first vibrator or like, yeah, I bought my first butt plug or whatever. Like I could have these conversations and it's not so weird anymore. And I think one of my favorite things, especially as when I was a little, little baby queer and I go into Venus Envy is that everyone who works there is so confident and comfortable but like very calm like there's no like pressure like it's such a safe environment that you can go in and be like i'm looking for blah 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 and they're like cool we'll find it like there's no no hesitation and it's just very very positive environment so i wanted to i want to ask um can you maybe share with us some of your the best practices at venus envy and what do you you what does the team do to ensure you're offering an inclusive uh, and accessible environment to everyone mm -hmm. i mean like one of the i think some of the early things i'm thinking back to when i was like training to work um and when i first started working like with venus envy i was just on the education team so i did some workshops and things before that and you know and also had like a background in sex education so i came in sort of in like a different way than a lot of other staff do but once i started working in the store it was the standard like you know use gender neutral language when we're talking to people um that was like and every it's funny because anyone who comes in to work there is like well duh like <laughs> of course you know people are kind of hired because they're already they already get it a lot of the time um, although you know sometimes there is learning to be done but i think a lot of the time it's like people want people who work at venus envy have like wanted to work at venus envy um because it's a it's a pretty particular kind of job it's not just like anyone else anyone can come in and be like yes i really want to sell people sex toys or like i really want to be involved in someone's like gender journey um you know it's a it's a complicated it's a complicated job but it can definitely be intense and so there's a lot of you know, trying to work together and support each other as well. Uh, and I think that's a really important part of working in a setting like that, you know, that best practices aren't just for how we treat customers, but also how we treat each other and how we try to support each other when like something tricky comes up. Um, and how we can have very, I don't know, they feel like high level, like queer theory conversations, but trying to sort of like, you know, bring it in when we're talking to customers and being like, we don't have to get all like theory driven and stuff, but that it's coming from a place of like, we've really thought about this. We've really done a lot of, a lot of um, education and thinking on any of the things that we talk about. Um, you know, everyone gets given uh, the, it's the, the book is called Girl Sex 101. And although the title is pretty particular, it is a very cool and like very inclusive book inside. Um, and it sort of lays out like sex and pleasure and like playing with other people in a very like not linear fashion, but sort of as like a road trip of like, you know, there's like stops and bumps along the way, but here are all these things we can think about. And so like, that's everyone's first read because it's, you know, I mean, it does also talk about like pleasure for vulvas and, and uh, vaginas and things like that. And that's important because a lot of us didn't get that information growing up as you were talking about, you know, our like patriarchy led sex education. Um, so that has always been an important part, but, you know, there's lots of books that we get to read when we're first starting um, and lots of, 
uh, sort of supporting of each other. And of course, using things like gender neutral language when folks are coming in and not making assumptions or, you know, people make assumptions. It's just part of our nature. But, you know, what are we going to do with those assumptions? Are we just going to let them dissipate? Probably is the best way to do it and kind of say like, okay. And there's lots of times where people have come in and like, I've assumed something about them. And then I'm like, so excited to be wrong. <laughs> I'm just like, ah, nice. Like, I love that. I love what like my version of what these people are changes after I end up talking to them. And that like really is exciting for me. It's exciting to be wrong because it means that I've learned something. I kind of love that. Um, and then, you know, I think another thing that we do at Venus MB when there's like a new staff is that we, we do a lot of learning from each other um, where like one of like, I love talking about lube. It's one of my favorite sections. And then I also love talking about like adaptive sex toys um, or just adapting sex toys because, you know, there isn't a ton on the market right now for the adaptive stuff. And so like I get to talk about those sections with the new staff that come in. Um, and then like someone else who like loves talking about butts will go over the butt section and we just keep on doing it and we keep asking questions and we keep on learning as we go. And whenever anything new comes in, we're like, okay, let's like ask a lot of questions and play with it and touch it and do this and that and whatever. And, you know, we get to like read books sometimes when we're like on break or, I mean, we have a whole slew of books that we can buy and, and you know, take to borrow if we're very careful um, and things like that. And also it's encouraged that we go to each other's workshops and then we have staff trainings and things like that from like outside people. Like there's always an expectation that we're all learning as we go. Anytime something new happens, even if it's like, oh, there's a new flag now, <laughs> like, cool, let's learn more about that flag and what that means and have a conversation about it of being like, okay, this is what's confusing me about this identity I didn't know about before. And this is where I can like understand it. And here's like some complicated feelings I have about it and doing that in sort of the safety and comfort of our, you know, our little team is a great way to not unpack our baggage on someone else. Um, and I think that's like a big part of it, you know. Can I ask you then, um, so when say, I'm thinking about kind of that sort of middle section of the store, um, outside of say buttons and stickers and some books. So if you have a parent of uh, a trans or non-binary child that's coming in and they wanna look at some potential supports. So you have a child who's not working yet, they don't have access to their own finances. So they might need support in that. Um, what are some, can you list off maybe a couple of items that maybe you know might be surprising to some parents that can be really helpful for, for uh, young people like in their tween, early teen, yeah so I mean like I think a big a big one of our big sections or you know small in size but big in popularity is our sort of like gender wall um, and we have a lot of gender affirming gear as we sort of call it usually it's things people can wear um, to sort of like change their body ever so slightly to just feel a little better about what we have going on so things like binders and gaffs. Um, binders are sort of like chest compression and gaffs are like groin compression, quote unquote. Um, and, you know, and just makes everything sort of slimmed in a way that like, you know, certain genders will feel comfy in. Um, we also have like additions that people can make. So like packers or um, STPs or stand to pee devices. 
um, can be used uh, to, you know, make it look like someone has a penis or just to like feel that bulge there or to pee standing up. That's a big one too for a lot of folks. Right. Um, so if you're a trans boy or a non-binary and you're using the male bathroom and you're out at a restaurant or something and you need to go to the washroom, you don't have to feel like you're looking like you're sitting down in a cubicle. You, you know, if that bothers you, you can stand to pee that way right Is that yeah exactly and we have things like breast forms um for you know like sort of more like trans feminine folks or non-binary folks who are just like looking to add some breast tissue um yeah things like that are sort of the you know very very common things that we're asked about i would say the most common though are like the gaps in the binders i find that there's a lot of like you know, I think that when we are out in the world, a lot of assumptions are made about us based on what we have versus what we're maybe lacking. Um, and that's just something that I've noticed in terms of like how our sales normally go that, you know, packers, we do sell a lot of, but binders, we sell a lot, a lot, a lot of. That's a big one. And same with gaffes. Um, it's also hard to find binders and gaffes like anywhere in this yeah. city. Well, I was going like, to say, there are times. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. Venus Envy is one of, if not the only spot in Atlantic Canada that actively sells binders. Of course, you can buy them online, but, you know, a lot of folks, they need to either try them on or have that like proper return policy, or they want to go in and have a conversation with someone to be like, is this what I need? Or because there's so many different types, like there's like the full top ones, there's the uh tank top ones i can't remember all the names of them but yeah. <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot of variations exactly and they all have names that like you don't need to know we just need to know and we'll and like we'll measure you there's a place you can try them on in the store and you know or you can measure yourself like we try to do a lot of like we want you to leave with something that feels good and makes you feel good and even like the different brands fit differently sometimes and you know we're trying to carry a couple of brands now and it's just, they're all very different. And, you know, even like from day to day, like I'll put on a binder one day and be like, oh, this fits really well today. And I'll put it on another day and be like, well, this was a mistake. I cannot yeah. this anymore. Or it's like a really hot day and you're like, I am not wearing like the full shirt one. And exactly. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And actually speaking of that, we do have trans tape now, which is sort of like binding tape. Although as someone, I guess, who has very sensitive skin, I have not had a lot of luck with uh, the trans tape or the binding tape. I also find it works a bit better on folks with like smaller chests already. And I do not have a very small chest. <laughs> so it kind of is like, well, maybe this is not the way to go for me. Um, but they also, we're trying to get in, it's been taking a while, but we're trying to get in gaff tape as well. Or I say gaff tape and that's like an actual tape that's used in like hardware stuff. Yeah, like it'd be, it'd be safe for your skin and safe for those particular areas as well um so it'd be more the removal i think that would be the perhaps the challenging piece that you'd want to make sure that you're getting a good quality product and um and have some support if you don't know exactly how to apply it um exactly yeah i know a youth right now that is using the the uh the binding tape and and loves it absolutely loves it and uh and it's really helped with you know i guess it's not just affirming and that but it's also um well, it's affirming, but it's um, breaking down isolation and making you feel confident and going into those spaces that you should be able to be in without, you know, being misgendered, which is one of those barriers that keeps you from going somewhere if you feel like you're going to be, you know, misgendered or, um, or outed or, or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a huge aspect of like dysphoria, I find that the way that other people view you has so much to say 
for your like about your body and uh, it really complicates things like sometimes when I'm feeling a certain way about my own body I'm like where is this coming from is this coming from like inside is it coming from me or is it coming from them the world that like I don't care about their opinions anyway so like why am I letting this affect me in this way and you know sometimes it's often more complicated than that but I do often feel myself being like where is this coming from and if it's coming from outside what can I do about it nothing I should just not care but it's more complicated than that and I think especially like you know for like youth who already have so much going on and like their brains around like what people think of them and you know how they're being read and, and things like that like I'm I don't know I've had a lot of time to be like I don't really care about this anymore like all the shame is gone and all these you know obviously I have good days and bad days of being like oh my body's not doing what it wants and it gets more complicated by like disability and my body like really not doing what I want it to do um and things like that but you know I've I've come a long way from what I was as a teenager and even like a like a very young adult where I was like oh like everyone is looking at me and thinking of these things about me and now I'm like eh, I'm over that like <laughs> I don't care what they think I'm just gonna do me I'm gonna wear what I want I'm never gonna wear a bra again like not even worry about the fact that I have like breast tissue and stuff like mm -hmm. that I'm just kind of going for it but you know it is it's still a different experience to someone who is maybe more like you know, leaning like one way or the other on sort of like the binary trans lens and is, you know, looking to look a certain way. And so that's my specific experience, but yeah. Yeah. But. And as you, as you said before, you know, like assumptions, especially if they aren't internalized, if you decide to vocalize them, they absolutely do hurt people. Um, and I think people need to be more aware um, and reflective of their own assumptions on other people, especially in terms of other people's bodies and understand the environment in which they are posing these assumptions or enforcing these assumptions onto people because it absolutely can have uh, negative repercussions regardless to if it was ill-intended or not, so. Totally. I even think of it when someone asks like some people what their pronouns are, but doesn't ask like another person. And I'm like, oh, you've decided that this person looks trans or like looks yeah. binary when like that's not how it goes. Like either ask everyone their pronouns or like figure out a way to not use pronouns at all. And like, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. I think that was all of our kind of nitty gritty questions, but I just want to open up the floor to you as well in case there was anything else you wanted to add. We are always happy to have people do shout outs um, to their own social medias, their own products, anything that you want to talk about. Um, but uh, kind of the floor is yours. Yeah. And I mean, like, we're always trying to post about like products we have or, you know, and we can always answer questions on our social media and things. So feel free to follow us on Instagram, uh, Venus Envy HFX. Uh, yeah, that, you know, we have lots of stuff going on, we can always answer questions. And, you know, while we are beholden to some governmental rules about selling certain kinds of products to people of certain age groups, um, anyone can come into the store, we can always have conversations. And um, we're allowed to sell like gender affirming products. That's not an issue. We can sell books, we can sell things like that. You know, there's where it gets more complicated is around like sex toys and things like that. So, you know, if you're looking for some gender affirmation gear or you just want to talk about gender, you know, come on and, and visit us or, or um, you know, or feel free to follow us on Instagram and we can chat there too. We're always happy to have conversations about those things. 
And I love your book selection too. I mean, you have like everything from, you know, early like, well, children's books, you have the pink balloon there, which is, um, which is my book, which is fantastic. I love seeing that in the front section, but like, um, if I was your girl, I just, I love that read. I think it's a great read for even parents, you know, of teens, but your teen fiction and your tween fiction and all of that, like your whole book section has been, it's just a pleasure to go in and browse through it. Um, yeah. Really this is the full full collection like I remember I went in and I bought a book and it was called Queering the Countryside and yeah. it's about like queer rural experiences in Nova Scotia like I thought it was just like kind of general and I started reading and I was like they're talking about Nova Scotia so that was really exciting um so there's a, a and, and of course a lot of these books are written by local queer artists that you you folks actively support so that's really really great yeah it's so funny like just sort of talking about books getting very off topic here but I as like a youth hated reading. I was really, I was, I'm not like a super fast reader. I'm still not, but I really did not like reading when I was a kid. And then over the sort of initial part of the pandemic, I got really into fan fiction and was like, oh, like, I don't mind reading if it's characters that I like. And then yep. sort of like going back to work and being like at Venus Envy and just like picking up a book every so often, I was like, oh, I can kind of get into this. Like seeing queer representation in the things I'm reading made me like reading. And that was just something I didn't have access to for like so long when I was a kid. And I'm like, oh, that's what it is. So yeah, if you're like, and we have graphic novels too, like there's lots of different ways to find that experience and to, you know, feel yourself represented in the media that you consume. Um, you know, we're not, there's lots more on like Netflix and on TV now and stuff like that, but sometimes it's just not enough. And there's a lot of really cool queer books out there and books with trans characters and queer characters and non-binary characters and and like ace characters too and then like it's just been so exciting to see you know these characters written by people who either like identify with those identities or you know maybe are somewhat removed from them but still have like are usually still queer at least you know there's there's something there that draws them to these characters and to making these characters feel representative of people that we didn't get to see growing up it was really yeah. hard to find and they're not like tragic stories yeah. where like oh they're all about coming out and it going poorly or like it's about like finding yourself and yeah like you know a coming of age story is nice and things like that but sometimes it's just nice to see people queer people existing and living yeah. their lives and sometimes there's a sexy scene in there i was gonna say sometimes you gotta find a good queer smut book <laughs> exactly. and there's no shame in that yeah I they're hard that. to find you can't go to chapters and be like no. yeah where's the queer smut exactly where is it yeah so. yeah I love smut that is my preferred method of like I don't know sexy media I'm not a porn watcher I just I can't quite get it in the zone um but definitely a, a smut fan for sure <laughs> very fair very fair well yes thank you yeah thanks so much for having me always a, a treat to get to talk about this stuff that's all the time we have today, folks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Hey Sis. The conversation doesn't have to stop here, though. If you would like to get in touch with us to ask us a question or share your story on a future episode, you can email us at connect at simplygoodform.com or visit us on our website at www.heysis.com. 